0: Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's call. Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop. And today's workshop is Caring for Your Loved One with Cancer. Very important topic, and we have just wonderful speakers on our program today. Today's program is uh, supported by a grant from Genentech, Bristol Myers Squibb, and Pharmacyclics, LLC, an AbbVie company, and Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC. I really want to thank them for their support of this program and for a number of other programs that we offer as well. Now, we have a lot of you on the call today. There are over 200 participants on the call today from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, um, and frontier communities, and suburban communities as well. And we also have international participants from Canada, India, Iraq, South Africa, and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well. And it's really a credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. And now it's really my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Tamron Gray. And Dr. Gray is Instructor in Medicine, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Brigham and Women's Hospital, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Gray will be providing a definition of a caregiver what research tells us about caregivers' well-being, family, partner, and friend communication, and caregiving for an older adult or a younger adult. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Gray.
2: Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction, Dr. Mesner. It is a, a delight to be here today and presenting on a topic that I'm very close to and that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, as Dr. Mesner as uh, stated, my research does focus on improving the lives of uh, individuals who are diagnosed with cancer and their loved ones who are uh, impacted by the diagnosis as well and who are caring for them. Uh, and so, first, I want to really just briefly define who is a caregiver. Uh, by definition, caregivers are individuals who provide, who provide care that is typically uncompensated and usually this care is provided in, in the home environment or outpatient setting. Caregivers spend a significant amount of time and energy for months or years uh, caring for a loved one diagnosed with cancer. And a lot of these tasks could be uh, related to the physical aspects of one's life, emotional, social, or financial uh, in nature in terms of providing care for their loved one. In addition, caregivers can be adult children or other family members such as spouses, partners, parents, friends, neighbors, anyone who the patient identifies as a close individual who provides care and support for them during illness. Uh, And one of the things that we know about caregiving in general is that the number has increased, steadily increased, since the start of the pandemic, uh, just because um, more individuals are requiring uh, care at home uh, in the United States, and we've learned through this time that caregivers are a critical extension of the formal healthcare system. In addition, caregivers are really considered part of the entire survivorship experience, from time of diagnosis to post-treatment and survivorship or end of life. They fill such a big gap uh, estimated over, over um, $400 billion in cost savings worldwide. They really are a large part of the workforce. Now, whenever I think about caregiving, I like to think of it as kind of receiving water from a, a fire hose. Um, in terms of the caregiving experiences in any, any setting, and that's because caregivers often receive such an enormous amount of information that they have to take in, and sometimes adjustments need to be made uh, in their life as well as the patient's life just to make sure that they are receiving quality care. In addition, caregivers are often underprepared or unprepared for their role. And uh, the current literature suggests that caregivers' perceived level of skill preparedness is often associated with caregiver burden, so whether or not they feel prepared and to what extent really does impact their overall uh, perceived burden. In addition, we also know that there are many things that caregivers do in the in the term in the context of cancer, for example, caregivers monitor side effects and symptoms. Uh, They help to communicate and relay medical information with the clinical team. They're also engaged in treatment decision-making. They provide transportation and assist with ADLs, activities of daily living, whether that's cooking or cleaning or bathing or dressing. In addition, they provide emotional support and help prepare patients uh, just all throughout uh, their illness and the care that's required. And one of the things I, I always think about with caregivers is that they are such a constant for the patient. No matter how many uh, specialties uh, the patient has to go visit, the, the caregivers are always the constant. They know the patient better than many healthcare professionals. In addition, caregivers administer medications and uh, perform a lot of the technical, medical, and nursing tests that they, the patients would normally receive in the hospital. And then my uh, dear colleague will elaborate on this, uh, Dr. Barbara Given, but caregivers also also play a role in coordinating care and just helping patients navigate the system. So there's an emerging body of evidence that really do suggest that caregivers, um, although there's a lot of um, perhaps negative impacts of caregiving uh, or downsides of caregiving, there's also a lot of benefits to caregiving as well that has been reported in the literature. So in addition to caregivers feeling uh, underprepared or unprepared, uh, perhaps experiencing uh, some distress or stress at times, and having um, physical and financial strain just with their new role, there's also a sense of purpose and self-worth that comes out of this experience. Uh, There's something known as post-traumatic growth, which is where uh, there's a positive change that happens as a result of a major life event. A lot of caregivers have also reported feeling very uh, proud of their role as a caregiver and seeing the value of their role. Um, so there's a, and it also helps them reprioritize what's important in life, just knowing that they're really making an impact for their loved ones. And when we think about the interesting thing in terms of cancer care, caregivers are all the more relevant. Because in cancer, there's many different treatment modalities and options, and sometimes caregivers provide that extra ear for both the clinical team and the patient in deciding uh, the best chart for treatment. In addition, um, a lot of outpatient services are associated with cancer care nowadays, and caregivers provide that extra presence uh, and helps to allow patients to stay out of the hospital by attending uh, these outpatient visits with them. There's also a lot of interdisciplinary teams uh, in terms of cancer care, with psychologists and social work and nurses and chaplains and physicians um, and others. So caregivers help to provide their perspective um, to many different team members. Uh, in addition, uh, caregivers, are often, they often play a really big role in complex decision making, because uh, there are a lot of decisions that are often needing to be made. So that gives you a little bit of background about who caregivers are, and and um, rest assured, caregivers uh, are very just meaningful and just a huge role play a huge role in the healthcare system. But one of the things that we want to pay attention to is that while caregiving is very labor intensive, and and patients do require assistance with basic instrumental activities of daily living, and emotional support, and advocacy in healthcare. There are a range of issues and unmet needs that have been reported by family cancer caregivers, and that includes both psychosocial, emotional, physical, and decreased quality of life. Particularly for individuals who are employed, the time spent providing care can really impel caregivers to take time off of work, which can lead to loss of wages and financial hardship. In addition, the large majority of responsibility of care placed upon the caregiver during the time of diagnosis and treatment can really lead to a reduction in caregiver's quality of life. So, if we really want to make sure that patients are doing okay, I truly believe we have to make sure that the caregivers are doing okay. Um, When we think about this time, especially during COVID, caregivers are often lacking their regular social support. And this comes with higher stress and uh, worsening mental health. Um, And then as we kind of move along, when we think about the general profile of caregivers, one thing that is an interesting topic that I think um, we're starting to discuss more and more is really how the demographic profile of caregivers is changing. For example, uh, baby boomers are really shifting from being caregivers to care recipients. There is, on average, 10,000 people who are turning 65 daily. So baby boomers are on the verge of retiring if they haven't already. They're facing more complex needs, and they are they're more likely to be unmarried or without a large um, kind of number of children to really take care of them. Um, but they are more likely to be living alone as they age. Uh, and the fastest growing age group in the United States are those who are 85 years and older. So with all of this data in terms of the aging population, it's important to keep in mind that although spouses are typically and presumably the primary caregiver, there are adult children now who are also taking on this role. Uh, And typically, they're known as kind of the sandwich generation. They're caring for um, their parent with cancer as well as uh, taking a child to school. Um, So they're really, really juggling um, different people who need their care. And as we think about you know, what how, how is it different of uh, caring for an older adult and caring for a younger adult, one of the things to remember is that older family caregivers are largely responsible for care of next to kin living at home, which impacts their physical and mental health. We also wanna keep in mind that they're also, uh, uh, they also have different physical uh, comorbidities as well that needs to be uh, paid attention to. And what we find in the literature is that Generally, spouses uh, benefit most from a reduction of caregiving demands, uh, benefiting from respite or breaks, while adult children um, who are caring for individuals generally tend to benefit from family-focused uh, interventions as well as logistical uh, solutions because a lot of them are facing financial hardships and uh, other, um, con- uh, other kind of consequences related to caregiving because they weren't expecting to be in that role. I'll end, um, and I'm happy to talk about this subject more in the discussion, but one of the things I do want to introduce you to is really just the concept of communication with regards to family, uh, partners, and friends. Family caregivers in oncology often serve as a liaison between the patient and caregiver, relaying information, seeking and accessing and understanding information. And this in itself uh, really uh, warrants the need for better communication for caregivers and the clinical team and patients. Um, one of the things that's so important for caregivers is to really know what patients are uh, experiencing, what they're going through, and what their goals of care are with diagnosis. And in addition, they'll be able to serve as better advocates for their loved ones. In addition, when we think about lack of um, social relationships that caregivers may experience in their role, whether it's related to cancer safety precautions or pandemic, it's important to keep in mind that caregivers really need social outlets. And when they're talking to their own uh, family and friends, they need someone that they can really turn to, although that individual may not truly recognize um, and understand uh, their role entirely. It's important for caregivers to feel like they have an avenue because sometimes they get overwhelmed and sometimes they seek that emotional and psychological support and hoping just for someone to listen to them and help them handle uh, situations that they may have and they may be experiencing. Uh, there's there's uh, truly a lot that we are learning about with communication with caregivers. I think the really biggest thing is the most important thing is acknowledging caregivers when they're in the room and bringing them a part of the complex care decision making and really checking in with them and seeing how they're coping with all of these experiences and when they need a respite, when they need a second caregiver to step in. So we have a lot of work to do, but I'm excited to be a part of that work. So I'll stop there and I'll hand it back over to Dr. Mesner. Oh, thank you
1: so much, Dr. Gray. That was really outstanding. Just a wonderful presentation, and just and also so much wonderful information for our participants um, to actually utilize, and so uh, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. Thanks so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Barbara Given, and Dr. Dr. Given is uh, the University Distinguished Professor, Associate Dean, Emeritus, School of Nursing, Michigan State University. And Dr. Given will be addressing care coordination and adherence, challenges and tips, stresses on family, partners, friends, and loved ones, challenges for caregivers of cancer survivors, and the increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments. It really gives me great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Given.
3: Thank you, and welcome everybody to this session today. Uh, So it is a great pleasure to talk about cancer caregiving Uh, it's been a passion of mine for a long time. And Dr. Gray has uh, provided a lot of information already about the importance, the definition of the caregiver, and about the well-being and the communication patterns. Uh, In today's healthcare system, I think the caregiver uh, is the coordinator of care and has to really take the lead and advocate for themselves and for their patients. And they really need to, early on in the uh, trajectory, establish a good uh, communication link with the care team and know who it is who's going to be in control of the team so that they have a contact that they can call in time of need and in time of wanting additional information. As has been said before, the family is the constant and the family and the patient together really are part of the workforce and part of the team and have to be considered. It is the family member who really brings together all the loose ends and knows how to tie them together and, in so doing, really needs to anticipate the future needs as there are various transitions as one goes through the whole uh, cancer care trajectory in treatment, in um, maintenance, and then in recurrence should that happen. They have to take the lead to speak up and be sure they're included in meetings, consults, visits, and telehealth sessions. And as they navigate the healthcare system for their patient, they have to be clear to everyone and members of the team that they are part of the team and part of the workforce and have to be included. And in so doing, they really must understand the plan of care, both short and long-term for the patient. They need to know the resources that are available, especially, again, so many things are outpatient. What are the community resources? Most hospitals and clinics have lists of resources that have been provided, like for offices on aging and in community health centers and whatever. So they may have to ask for those. In this community, there are a number of those available. However, they're usually on a shelf somewhere. And so uh, the family members really need to ask for that. Social workers and discharge planners are the best people to ask for what those resources are or where they could get a list of them, and maybe even help in the choosing of them. And I find often in today's world, if someone is in the hospital and is discharged, the discharge planners um, may be in the background and not really have as many direct contacts with the individual patient and the family members because they work with the charts the medical records and are not so visible. So I feel it's important for the family members to really ask to meet with the discharge planners and make sure that happens. In 43-plus states now, there is the CARE Act that was introduced and pushed by AARP. So in the United States, these laws say that a family member or a caregiver must be identified at admission, uh, and then at discharge, the family member needs to be included. In today's uh, world, a lot of the cancer treatment includes oral agents and cancer as part of the cancer therapy. So family members have to really know about the drugs and know about what happens in the home because they are now responsible where when a patient is inpatient, therefore uh, nurses and doctors and other techs are involved. But in home, that is different. And so uh, it is important for family members to know about side effects of the drugs, adverse effects, and know about safety in the home, uh, what about a discharge of urine or stool or vomit, what about sheets, what about safe handling of the drugs. So it's important that at uh, discharge from hospital or a clinic, uh, the a family member asks for information. It is also the role of the family member to participate in storage of the medications and with some of the specialty oral meds that cost many thousands of dollars a piece. They come from specialty pharmacies and patients and family members talk about the difficulty if they come through the mail. Uh, We've had a number of incidents recently, certainly with COVID and also holidays and everything of medications coming late or not coming and having to be picked up, or in the past they didn't have to be picked up. So if a patient is really on any special drugs that come from special pharmacies, again, it is the family caregiver who gets involved in the coordination of this. Again, with the drugs, the specialty drugs, they're very complex protocols, and so it's important that all these things be written out in great detail uh, so that uh, the caregiver does not have to worry so much that the drugs are given on time and that they get actually what they need and that those are actually coordinated then with any other medications with, for chronic illness. So has, what has been said before already the importance of all of this then affects the quality of life uh, for the family members, the partners, and the loved ones. And research has shown that often the caregivers has as much if not more distress than the patient And most of the studies would indicate that uh, the stress-distress lasts longer for the uh, caregiver than actually the patient because they are continuing to worry that everything is taken care of. And you will heard some discussion already about the importance of caregiver burden uh, for the family members. And these happen when they don't really have as much idea of the expectations on the short run and the long run. When they have a fear of making an error or forgetting something and um, are afraid they will make a mistake, afraid they'll forget something that's really important, afraid they will not do the procedure right that might happen, to happen in the home. So they should never leave a, a healthcare system, meaning a clinic or a hospital, without knowing who they're contact is and who they can call when there's a hot-button hot button issue that they really need to uh, take care of. It's a long and changing trajectory with many complex transitions. And the key to all of this is the family member as well as the patient. And uh, you need to be willing to ask for help from the social worker, the nurse practitioner, discharge planners, as well as physicians. The challenges for the caregivers of survivors is to know really who is coordinating the care. So what happens is very often, or at least in some systems, uh, when their uh, patient is in maintenance therapy or at a point where there's uh, nothing else uh, as far as the protocol, they drop back to primary care. And again, a major, major role for the caregiver then is, is what is the discharge plan? Does the primary care provider have the discharge plan. Primary care docs and providers really don't have all the knowledge of the cancer or certainly all the new treatment. So they may or may not know the side effects, and most do not know the late effects. And they may not know the late effects eno- enough to really know what the early signs are. So again, the family member is very engaged in coordinating that and having that information and should really ask for what the short term. Uh, Effects might be and what the late effects might be. Uh, Again, the family member is very engaged in the worry about fear of recurrence. Once the patient is in the survivorship mode, anniversary dates are often traumatic and filled with fear. And the whole idea that's also said before, what is normal, getting back to normal. Getting back to normal may be different for the caregiver than it is for the patient. And they really need to engage with their uh, healthcare professionals to have that discussion, so that the conflict is not uh, beneath surface, but is open and discussed, so people know what to expect. COVID certainly has brought out the whole issue of telehealth and telemedicine, and I think it's here permanently. And I think um, in reading some of the surveys. Half the people like it, half the people don't, but the majority would like a mix uh, so that they would uh, have some of their visits that might be telehealth or telemed and other visits in person. It certainly can improve access and can improve communication, but the issue about palpitation, careful assessment, listening to chest sounds, heart sounds, and whatever uh, would not be uh, so easy although with Apple watches and phones and everything, that's going to change also. So I think uh, clearly telehealth and telemedicine is here uh, permanently. Uh, it, the mix really often can allow family members, at least in this community, if you have a telehealth or televisit, you can choose whether you want your family member to be there, and most of the physicians in this community allow that to happen. It is important also in the whole world of telehealth and telemed to use the patient platforms like MySparrow, My um, Dana Farber, My whatever, and have the patient give caregiver access to that because that's another way of keeping up with what's happening. So the whole area of telehealth and telemedicine, there are many sensors to support the care. Uh, that patients can send information from their Fitbit or their Apple Watch to their uh, patient platforms in the medical care, and family members can be included. And this has certainly increased the distant and rural uh, caregiving opportunities to be well-informed. Again, um, there's much to do, and I believe the uh, caregiver is the linchpin. That's what I have to say Till we have
1: questions. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Given. That was really wonderful. And and really, um and really that that phrase that the caregiver uh, caregivers really the linchpin is really an important one for people to keep in mind that the we we we're focusing on caregivers today, but they really are so critically important and so thank you so much. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q and A as well. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author, researcher, in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing coping with holidays, birthdays, and special occasions, managing family, friends, partners, and traditions, practical tips for managing caregiver stress, strategies for self-care, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and One Notes. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my
4: esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you for everyone who's on the call. Um, uh, caregiving is very hard, as uh, you can hear, but also extremely rewarding, and the um, uh, things I've been asked to speak about do add um, responsibilities to the caregiver's list, but they are really important for everyone, for the caregiver as well as for the identified patient. So holidays, birthdays, special occasions come up during cancer treatment and after. You can't stop them. (laughs) Some people feel that they wish they could, but you can't. And I've been through um, holidays, birthdays, celebrations with many patients and families, and what i found is that the families that try to just ignore them um, are not happy. Um, they often um, feel like it's a missed opportunity afterwards. So realizing that things are just not going to be the same as they were in prior years is key here. But yes, it will be different, and yes, during COVID times, things have even become more different, but acknowledging special occasions, special landmarks can be bittersweet for everybody if people are worried about what's happening with their uh, illness and if things are responding or not. But it's just important to be able to acknowledge that these days are pass- are, are there, they're passing. You may not want to do um, the kind of lavish uh, event that you would have been able to think about pre-COVID now, but we have all reluctantly, I will say for myself, but we've all reluctantly learned how to use um, many of the uh, internet meeting um, platforms. The software is called the platform to be able to meet with friends and family either around the corner, so we can't see because of COVID restrictions or across around the world, Um, who would normally not be able to participate in these events. So one of the odd uh, good things that has come out of that pandemic is for us to be able to connect to people that are far away and can't participate in these events, but just acknowledging that things will be different I think is really important, and um, and giving some thought to the kind of celebration that one can have of all the limitations that we've just spoke about. Spoken about. Um, many uh, of my patients and families have very elaborate communication structures for family members, friends, um, people who want information. I, I have been through hearing from patients saying that the uh, information sharing can be really exhausting and that they know people love them and that they care and they want to know what's happening um, but it can be very exhausting. Um, Using the telephone uh, again in pre-pandemic times was something that people often didn't think about until until, uh, more recently or even using a number of um, internet platforms can be very helpful in keeping people up to date so they get the information, they can leave a message back for the patient and the family and it um, it is more efficient. Efficiency here isn't really the factor, it's that sometimes giving the same information over and over and over again can make it seem more intense. And uh, this way um, people who love you and care about you can find out how you're doing, but You don't have to be describing it all day uh, to people either um, um, online or or on the telephone or in person. But giving that information and getting a message back um, can be really a sign of love and affection without having to spend lots of time and energy on uh, explaining what's going on. Um, so, caregivers have a lot to do. And it's really important that caregivers take care of themselves a little bit. One of the things we've found over the years with any serious illness, not just in, in cancer, is that caregivers often neglect themselves. They neglect their sleep, they neglect their nutrition, and they even neglect their doctor appointments and their screening appointments because they feel so overwhelmed. So it is important to keep perspective on that. Um, Most caregivers are extremely hesitant to ask for a few minutes off or a few hours off. Often that means calling in favors from other people so they can get a bit of rest, but it can really help in the long haul to take a walk, to uh, do something a little bit mindless if you can or can't get outside. Again, with COVID, things are not the way they used to be, but uh, they need to actually get a little uh, sort of mental calm um, from all of the responsibilities of caregiving um, is really, really important. Unlike with any other type of sort of uh, common sense advice, even more important is getting some activity. We hate to say exercise, but good some activity. um, And um, good nutrition is truly important to be able to keep energy up, Uh, get a reasonably good sleep when possible, and to be able to be a good caregiver over sometimes what could be many, many weeks or many months. Um, And caregivers really should, should not feel guilty about asking for a little bit of time off because that will help in the long haul to make sure that they can continue to be effective caregivers over a long period of time. Um, As far as uh, electronic appointments or telehealth appointments or telemedicine appointments, this is something that we've all learned um, to do rather quickly. Um, And it took all of us, uh, patients, family members, and um, providers, uh, a while to get used to this system. But telehealth visits can be conducted over the telephone, regular old-fashioned telephone, or a cell phone. In many instances, telehealth visits can be a video call, like a video conference. And um, those require some special equipment, like a... a smartphone or a laptop or a tablet or any other device that you where you could watch movies and get email um, send texts but some, some of the telehealth um, platforms require video conferencing ability so you have to be able to use the, those devices to actually sending and receive images and voice at the same time Um, If you're going to have a telehealth visit and you're not used to them, as none of us were up until just a few months ago, just find out some information. Find out who's going to call whom. Um, Find out if you're supposed to call in or someone's supposed to call you. Find out if they're going to call you on the phone, on the landline, or call you on a cell phone, or or, 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 uh, through a special uh, program that they may have that you would share with them. And if that's the case, if it's the first time that you're doing a telehealth call, please ask the office staff. uh, Often the doctor and the nurse are not able to do this, but their office staff is very well trained and have a set of telehealth visits to um, make a practice run of a dress rehearsal the day before a few hours before so that you know how to connect because um, each system is slightly different um, and uh, some of us wish all the systems connected in the same way but they're privately owned and they don't um, so knowing how to connect is very helpful also having a list of questions uh, is really important, as if you were going for an in person visit, this is especially um, a good opportunity for people who live far away to be able to participate in the telehealth visits because they do not have to travel they do not have to go to the uh, cancer center the doctor 's office the radiation center the infusion suite to be able to participate in care um, having uh, the, the, if you are making a list and you should of your questions beforehand. Make sure that your caregiver relative also has the same list and make it together so the caregiving questions can also be handled at the same time. So practicing the call, having a quiet place, being prepared for the hour, especially if you're a a relative or a friend from far away, make sure about the time change because those can be quite confusing. And then uh, setting up for the call and trying to get the questions answered is very helpful um, I'll, I'll just end with one more thing uh, there's a many of us who have uh, our treatments at larger centers actually have access to an electronic chart. usually that's called my something um, and the electronic chart is an extraordinarily helpful tool if used properly um, in in this in, in this program, you can actually look at when your appointments are the upcoming appointments, the time, the place, if there are any blood tests or urine tests or x rays or imaging studies that are scheduled before that, those will be listed there as reminders. One of the things that can sometimes happen is that as these uh, lab tests or imaging studies are uh, evaluated and reported they will then go to the provider who asked for them. In some systems, it goes to you, the patient and the family at the same time. This although is extremely helpful because you may find out uh, before you get a call from the provider's office can be extremely confusing. Um, it, the, the interpretation of these tests, especially during cancer, but really even for anybody is extremely complicated, especially because it has a context. So um, when these systems uh, first started to be um, in common use, um, patients and families would be extraordinarily upset if they saw a, a value that was listed as abnormal. But it's important to remember, can't stress this enough, that during cancer treatment, there are expected abnormals. So for example, During chemotherapy, the white blood cell count should fall um, because of the reaction to treatment, whether it's chemotherapy or radiation therapy. If it is normal, that's something that's an important finding that people have to look at. Uh, It may just drop a little depending upon the circumstances. There are a wide variety of circumstances between the different types of cancer, different types of treatment. But often a, a normal would be something that the provider needs to pay more attention to than an abnormal. Um, think, scans pick up things like a cyst that we've had our whole lives from birth but we don't all get and few of us get screening imaging studies x-rays cat scans mris pet scans There's, those can be very confusing and very disturbing and the list can go on and on so please if you get these uh, results before the provider has a chance to review them with you. Don't panic. Try to understand it, but it is complicated, and the best thing to do is to schedule some phone time, uh, a regular phone, or a telehealth visit, depending upon the doctor's office, with the provider's office, to go over these findings with specifics and that are related to your situation Um, hopefully this doesn't happen too often and that the providers office will be calling you with the information and then ask you if you wanted to to look at the reports with them and go through the what's important in the report and what that actually means so please be aware this is a great thing but can be extremely confusing without the proper experience to be able to look at the reports and figure out exactly what's important and how it applies. I will um, end here and turn the call back to Dr. Messner. Thank you again, everybody. Oh, Thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really outstanding
1: and just a wonderful presentation and wonderful um, to also uh, remind everyone that when they get um, a report that they didn't expect to get on their smartphone, that they go ahead and call their doctor and work out the information with them so they understand um, what those notes mean, so thank you so much. And now um, I'm going to uh, say a few words about um, long-distance caregiving. as Carolyn Messner. I'm Director of Education and Training with Cancer Care. And now I'll say a few words about Cancer Care Services. Um, so again many of our speakers have addressed long distance caregiving you know during this time of covid um the long distance caregiver has had the option now not being able to travel to participate much more actively in each of um their loved ones care either being um on the on a phone call with the um Provider with the patient and their and their um, and their physician or healthcare provider um, in terms of getting information, and also um, can also be more active in terms of just being in touch with um, their loved one, calling them on the phone, emailing them, uh, reminding them about appointments, reminding them about um, taking their medication, reminding them uh, to um, take good care. Um, supporting them in many ways. So the long-distance caregiver um, has always been important, but I think particularly during this time that we live in more of a virtual world, the long-distance caregiver has been extraordinarily important. And um, so we just want to really call out to the long-distance caregivers and let them know that no matter where you live, whether it be in the United States or in other countries, you can actually be very much actively involved um, with the care of your loved one and with your loved one's permission, also have access to talk with their physician, their health care providers, so that that you're considered to be an really important person in their care. Now, I do want to say a few words about cancer care services. And those services um, consist of a number of different things. Um, Cancer Care is a national organization and staffed primarily by oncology social workers. And um, we provide a host of services. Many people contact us through our Line. They call Cancer Care on the telephone and speak with one of our oncology social workers. um, And the social workers can offer them support. People may ask all sorts of questions and get support with their concerns and questions. Um, We also provide case management services, which really mean that if we don't offer the help, that we will connect you to a resource that gives you the help. And so therefore, um, you are able to then connect with, we are able to connect you virtually. So we won't just give you a list of places to call. We actually will go with you virtually to a resource. And be sure that you get the help you need, and sometimes those resources are in your own community, sometimes they're regional or national, and we're sure to connect you and until that is resolved, our staff will stay with you until we get the help you get the help you need. Often it has to do with having adequate food, housing issues, health care issues, all the issues that you're all confronting of course um, and then we also offer practical and financial assistance, which has been really. I would say a very important component of cancer care services really since our inception and we've been around about 77 years and since the inception of cancer care, it's been a vital part of our services that we offer. We offer also online support groups, which are really nice because they you can post any time of the day or night and they're facilitated by an oncology social worker so that you're always getting they're always being moderated as well. And we also offer these workshops, about 75 of them per year, and we have a number of different publications. And now um, we do have time for questions, and I'm going to ask Michelle to bring all of our speakers on board. And We're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible.
0: Michelle? Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star than 1 on your touchstone telephone. If your question hasn't answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. So, we have a question from of our online participants for
1: Dr. Gray. Um, can you please go over your definition of a caregiver again?
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for that question. Uh, so, for the context of this call, family caregivers were there, described and defined as individuals that assist. Um, uh, those who are who are uh, going through a serious illness by providing care and support. Uh, now, these individuals can be family members, friends, uh, non-relatives, uh, anyone who the, the patient defines as someone who provides care and support for them during a serious illness.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and um, we have another question here. Um, from one of our online participants. Um, So my mother was recently diagnosed with cancer, and family members nearby haven't been offering much help. As special events approach, these days seem overwhelming, especially with this frustrating lack of help from other relatives. What can I do to help? Um, Dr. Fleischman, do you want
4: to start with that question? Sure. Uh, Those of us who are caregivers usually find it harder to ask for help. (laughs) It's just one of those things. Um, Really, the the most effective thing is to give a call to the relative rather than do it in writing. Uh, Email and text is not always the best. And uh, say, so-and-so is doing okay or give an update and I really need your help. Um, and then ask specifically for what you need and thank them a dozen times, even in advance. And and from what I've seen over the years, that makes uh, the most sense, is the kindest way to get people on your side and um, not feel a burden as well, but really have everybody involved in in the event and the help. Excellent, thank you. Any other
1: comments on that question? That's a good
2: question.
1: Okay. So um, the question um, now um, for uh, Dr. Given, as my mom's caregiver, what are some precautions I should take even though we are both vaccinated?
3: The uh, precautions really are for those around you and those that you come in contact. So I think if um, especially your mother would have cancer or immune disease or whatever, she will still be at risk. But I think uh, being exposed to individuals who are not vaccinated in public places. So we still are telling people to really worry about uh, masks when you're around people like that and encouraging others to wear masks and not be exposed and also the distance kinds of things. So even though many states have opened up, we still exert caution, especially for people with chronic illness. Excellent, thank you. Um,
1: And- um, Can I add to that? Yes, oh please, yes.
4: Yeah, yes. Let's not forget the basics. Hand washing. Hand washing is really important. It was important pre-COVID and many of us did not pay as much attention to it as we should have. Hand washing really, really important. There's a bacteria out there that uh, can just make everything a whole lot worse and they should be down the down the drain in the sink rather than on on someone's skin. So, hand washing is critical.
1: Yes, and yes it very good. These are really good points, and I know these are issues that people are, are really struggling with now. And so I think that uh, it's very helpful. Um, and then this question, um, then uh, I'll address it with the increased use of telehealth. With my, will my family, other family in other states, be able to help out with some caregiving duties? So actually, they can be so much more involved now. Um, and I'm going to ask if Dr. Gibbon wants to add to that as well, but definitely there's a much greater involvement now for long-distance caregivers.
3: Uh, yes, and I think um, I've seen an increase in use in comfort and uh, in using in telehealth and even for family meetings and everything for at distance. But again, having providers and like if they're nurse practitioners or social workers, their willingness to do uh, televisits is there. And then again, I would encourage the whole use of the uh, patient allowing the relevant uh, caregiver to have access to the medical record because as has been said in here, you see the plan of care, you see the lab results, uh, you can leave messages for the provider and things like that when that is shared. And I think although that has not been a pattern in the past uh, to a great degree. I think COVID changed that, and I'm seeing much more comfort in everybody doing that. Excellent. Thank you.
2: Um, A question? um, And one of the things I'd also like to add to that, too, when we think about, you know, technology in general and and telehealth uh, specifically, when there are caregivers who are really distant, they're able to uh, maybe order online groceries from where they are to where the patient is. They're able to del- deliver medications uh, without leaving their, their seat. They're also able to uh, email providers and specialists, um, and that in itself kind of takes t- you know, t- time um, to help the primary caregiver and the patient themselves. So they want to do some things remotely, That's even cool. if Thank they're not at
1: Excellent. That's true. There's a lot. It's an excellent point. Um, and then for this question um, for Dr. Given, I read online that body language is important as a caregiver. Is that true? If so, what are body language do's and don'ts as a caregiver?
3: Well, uh, I think body language is huge. Uh, and I think uh, we've seen that uh, also in the COVID when, with some of the televisits. Uh, We've had uh, patients and caregivers tell us that the uh, physician still looked down and uh, didn't look at them. But anyhow, I think the whole appearance and looking engaged and uh, not heavy size and uh, looking as if they're uh, depressed or anxious or worried or whatever. So again, thinking, stopping for a second as they engage in whatever the activity is, and this sometimes is critical if there are dressing changes or shots to be given or catheters to be done or drainage to be, to really think about what it is you're doing and to think about how you're presenting yourself just as you would to a total stranger when you wanna be accepted and remembering that this is a loved one. So I think uh, just uh, probably the to helped us with that. Uh-huh, in the fact that all we could see was the eyes, but we saw a lot with the eyes. And so we had to really talk and, and share happiness or smiles or greetings with our eyes. But I think we have to think now of the whole body in that way. So uh, it's really reflecting on what you're doing and how you come across. Excellent. Very helpful.
1: Thank you. Thank um... you. And uh, for Dr. Fleischman, how can I recognize my own sadness when taking care of my spouse with cancer and also make sure I'm helping myself cope?
4: Oh, um, well, I I would ask myself myself how you recognize sadness before you were a caregiver because the pattern probably hasn't changed. So if you're very tired physically Uh, more than you would expect from the amount of time and energy you're putting in being a caregiver. Um, If you're not thinking that you're hungry, if you're not sleeping well, if you can't sit down for a few minutes and enjoy something on the radio or a podcast or part of a movie or a TV program, um, uh, those those are the kinds of signs that I, I would think should be a, glad saying that you need a little time and pampering for yourself. Excellent. Well,
1: I want to thank all of our speakers. You've been actually phenomenal, really (laughs) amazing um, um, focus. We actually could go on uh, for quite a bit more because we have uh, a lot more questions in queue. I'll I'll address those, but I want to thank our speakers. I also want to thank all of you who have asked such really great questions that really enhanced our call today. Um, Your questions really make a huge difference um, in allowing our speakers to address concerns that you have, and that that really is very important here. And so I now want to move on to what about all of you who – well, I'm going to talk about the questions in general. For those of you who asked a question, for those of you who didn't get to ask a question but still have a question, and for those of you who thought of a question, um, and haven't had a chance to ask anyone. I didn't even think you'd have that question because of the program today. We want you all of three, all of you, to go back to your healthcare team and ask your ask your questions of the healthcare team. They know you the best. And there are different members of the healthcare team. So Remember, you'll choose the healthcare team members that you know that you actually um, would be uh, appropriate to help you with things. If you have a financial question, there's probably a financial patient navigator there. If you have an emotional or social question, your oncology nurse, your oncology social worker, um, psychologist on the team. All of those different disciplines can assist you as well. If you have a, um, a just a practical question or concern, again, the team. If you have a medical question, your physician and your healthcare and your oncology nurse—they can help you with those questions. So remember, your healthcare team is a very broad group of people, and so to be sure to take advantage of that team and to really um, and to to utilize um, and to use telehealth visits um, when you have questions and want to really have a discussion. Um, and uh, as we conclude the program today, I don't want anyone to feel you're alone as a caregiver or as a person coping with cancer. I want you to now feel that you're part of a community of support, and we're all here to help you, both from your healthcare team to all the different organizations. Um, at the end of this program, you'll be getting a Survey Monkey evaluation. And we'll be um, asking you to complete that. We appreciate that. But also the SurveyMonkey evaluation will also include um, resources. So how to contact different the different organizations we mentioned on today's program and um, different resources that might be in your community that we think would be helpful for you to have. So that's that's, um, something important. But we we recognize that people do feel alone. Um, I know things are opening up in different parts of the country and and in different parts of the world. It's different everywhere. It's a little bit different. So you know your own regional area, what that's like, or your own particular community. But nevertheless, um, we want you to know that you're really connected by phone. Or by calling an organization or your healthcare team. Also, please do find out in terms of your healthcare team when, what to, when to call them evenings, weekends, um, and holidays. Those always seem to be the time when always there are questions and concerns, and indeed you want to be sure you know how to reach them. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you
0: all, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.